All right, guys. Welcome back to the Fitness in Philosophy podcast. My name is Robbie Gustin. I'm joined as always by OPEX founder, James Fitzgerald. James, how are you, how are you doing today? I'm great, thank you. What episode number is this, Robbie? This is episode number nine. Number nine. Kind of, yeah, kind of crazy to think we, I mean, so I think I pinged you maybe back in January. You posted an Instagram post about a philosophy book and we just kind of talked back and forth. And then I think we recorded our first episode sometime around everything was going down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of, kind of cool. But yeah, it is. It is. Episode nine. It's good to see uh, we've been consistent and diligent and still trying to learn. So that's positive. Yeah. How's, uh, how's everything in Idaho? Idaho's great. Uh, the weather is, uh, went peaked up for a couple of days, nice and hot. And now it's, uh, back to some cooling. So it's beautiful here. Enjoying it. We have uh, about a month left. Uh, girls go back to school. Uh, it's early August. Now they go back to school online in a couple of days and then they're going to attempt to be in person in early September. Um, I think based upon the initial, um, things that are happening in other States, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think there's going to be other examples of schools trying to open up early and then, seeing that it's just not going to be successful. So we're assuming we're going to go back in September and then just stay in our home again for another couple of months yeah. um, for schooling, unfortunately, but it is what it is. Yeah. I was talking with someone who's uh, a coach here, who's also a, a high school teacher and has, has kids and just, I guess the longest summer break ever. <laughs> Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. There's Both a nice fine balance the there. Nice. There's a nice balance there of, uh, you know, I think a lot of people remember the summer of 2020, you know, uh, remember that summer, um, as long as you're capable of experiencing it with a, with a number of other people, right. That's the thing we forget is summer breaks are awesome for young people because they get to share and like in folly, you know, um, and diversion from the, from the everyday, um, adult based doldrums. Um, and so now we have an extended period, but they don't have as much social exposure, right? So there's a fine balance there. We've been trying to yeah. work with our, our girls on that, you know, keeping safety in mind and, and, um, respecting everyone's, uh, values. Um, but also there's a yearning there, you know, that they, they want to be around their friends and, and whatnot. So I see that as just as, as just as challenging as the economic issue inside of COVID personally of uh, everyone having to shut down, not do work and stay at home. Um, and all the, of course, ramifications that come with that. I see the same challenge within kids being told to stay away from school and not be as social. You know, that's really challenging. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. I mean, you know, on the one hand, you have some benefits that, you know, some people refer to in terms of like being with uh, family for a little bit longer. But of course, the flip side of that is, you know, so that that can be a positive, but it can also be the flip side that you're not with your friends and your peers and you know we need a, a balance of the two so yeah yeah yep well their their desires are um to be more social <laughs> yeah it's understandable there's our jump off point <laughs> yep. all right guys so today we're going to talk about desire and fitness so i guess following the format that james and i've been um going for the you know, past few episodes, we're going to do a couple episodes on a 
particular set of topics that are kind of related. We envision that this one will be about desire. Next one will be about intention. But uh, as we were just discussing before the call, there's a tremendous amount in here. We're going to, you know, uh, hop off or jump off on things we find interesting. And then we may come back to things um, later. So a quick preface here. Um, the philosophical literature on the topic of desire is deep. And if you just want to get like even a, like dip a toe in, you can go to the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, which is a great resource in their entry on desire. And uh, you'll get a taste for why philosophers you know, can really do good analysis on things, but also they can kind of go sometimes too deep down the rabbit hole. So there's a tremendous amount written about that, just like I've tried to do with knowledge or truth or autonomy, I want to try to bring it back up to the 30,000 foot level so we yeah. can like get a handle on things. Yeah. Today. Well, I appreciate that. And so do the listeners, Robbie, but I do recommend that those do a little bit more reading that you can link in. Um, because I think it is important to see, um, the, the depth of it, not for the purpose of you getting deep, but just to see that there's a lot in there. And, and to my opinion, Robbie, is that there's good reason why, uh, thinkers want to, uh, just jam on that area. You know, there's, there's, cause there's, I mean, it's the, it's the base of a lot of bigger pieces, you know, especially how you language it. So that's maybe something I'm hoping you're going to help uh, myself and everyone with today is to, is to put desire in a language that's really understandable for us. So we don't, we don't talk about the periphery of other things that seemingly look like desire, if I'm making sense, you know, and we yeah. can just like stay tight in that lane for fitness. So yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and if you guys as listeners ever want us to go deeper, you know, into this stuff, just just let us know and we, we'd be happy to. Um, okay, so let's just start off with the definition of desire. So just plain old dictionary definition. I'm not listing all the multiple definitions, but just the noun verb in the verb form. So a desire is a longing or craving as for something that brings satisfaction or enjoyment. That's the noun form. Verb to wish or to long for or to crave or to want. So, you know, we all have a rough conception of what a desire is. That's the dictionary definition, uh, of course, but we can do kind of a mini philosophical investigation right here and now into what does that all mean? So when we think about what is desire is, um, you know, we can ask this deeper question, what, what sort of thing is it? You know, it's not a, animal, it's not a vegetable, it's not a mineral, it's not a planet, you know, what, what's, what's, the, what's the nature of the thing? So as far as we know, only animate objects have desires. Um, animals, insects, people. And by the way, for anything I'm saying right now, I can just imagine the uh, philosophy firing squad of objections like being lodged at me. <laughs> like, so for any proposition I'm like asserting right now, know that there are many philosophers out there that might take issue with what I'm saying, but we're just trying to get a start on things. Um, so only animate objects have desires, but not all animate objects have desires. So uh, cells, mitochondria, plants, as far as we know, we're open to new evidence. We're not saying that dogmatically, but as far as we know, those things do not have desires. So you might say that desires are a mental entity, you might say they are a neurological entity. Those two are not the same, by the way. Um, and there's a lot of discussion about that in philosophy. But you might say something like, in order to have a desire, you need some sort of base level neurology of a certain sort. 
that would give you a directedness toward things. You know, you have a representation of something and you want to go out and get that thing. Um, so that's the other feature of desires. It, it's something that has a directedness towards something else. Desire is about something or for something else. Can I ask you a question? An object. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just thought about there the, uh, the differences in age and biological development. Um, is it possible then that there could be this level of desire awareness or capability as one ages, knowing that developmental systems require the space support for these emotional or cognitive strategies for older people? Sure. You know yeah. I mean, like um, a desire at age five, is it a desire? Um, at age 24, is it a desire? You know, and what that looks like differently. Yeah, I, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think at the very least, we could all grant that um, we have access to different types of desires the further we age, right? So, I mean, the obvious one is, you know, coming out, we want to go to the bathroom, we want to eat, we want to sleep. Uh, typically until puberty, you're not having any sort of sexual desires, um, but even higher desires like for community or knowledge or things like that, those develop as you get get older. So yeah. at the very least, we could say something like that. Yeah, but I'm just trying to lay the groundwork to recognize it's just not a, because when we say like to your point, uh, some animate objects do have desires we probably need to understand that there's context in terms of that animate object we're talking about. Right. And what kind of desires, et cetera. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so there, there's going to be the overlapping group that applies to insects and animals and then a whole sort of not overlapping group that applies to animals, but not insects and people, but not animals and insects and yeah. things yeah. of that nature. Yeah. The other piece we can say uh, about desires is that it's a disposition to act in certain ways. Um, and this is really the way epistemologically, like in terms of how we know it in the real world, that we get any sort of purchase on any desires besides our own. None of us have the ability to see anyone else's desires, right? You can only feel your own desires. What you can do is you can make an inference about, well, this person is behaving in such and such a way and I'm, you know, uh, making a conclusion based on that, that they have such and such desire, but unlike, you know, a table or a chair, I have no epistemological access to anyone else's desires. I see their behaviors. Mm -hmm. um, and this is something we might get into later about, you know, obviously, you know, it's talked about in OPEX about how your, uh, your behaviors dictate your priorities, um, you know, that, that connection. But um, we have no direct access to desires or intentions of anyone else besides ourselves. So the only way we are able to figure that out is by looking at the dispositions of people uh, to act in certain ways and, and the actual action of them acting in certain ways, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. And then we need to have, of course, people who can actually read that disposition effectively and clear carefully, <laughs> like who judges what that, you know what I'm saying? Like uh, some people, as we know in coaching, it's not a wrong thing, but they completely misjudge the actions um, and behaviors of individuals, right? It's like, oh, by, by you doing this, I can guarantee that this is how you're prioritizing things or these are your desires. It's like, actually, no, you read that completely incorrectly. So there has to be that, you know, inside of that also as to who's the judger and who, who determines what that disposition is. Oh, completely agreed. And um, that's a whole thing in philosophy where like you see something as something based on, you know, your conceptual 
um, framework and you know, just because you see an action, maybe it means this, maybe it means that. So mm-hmm. you know, having that um, ability to hold multiple different meanings in your head and being able to select from and, you know, choose the best one. Yeah. And that's why we say like in CCP, you know, we, we lend a little bit of an opportunity for a coach to learn more about it by just saying that, you know, assume that you do have an implicit bias, assume that right from the get go. And then secondly, know that you're colored based upon your experiences and then third, don't assume anything. And then fourth, just go to the source. So you basically are assuming all these actions. Why go there? Just go back and go, so I'm noticing this. Is it possible that this could be the, you know, your behavior is based upon that action? Um, and then, of course, you get to wrangle what, whatever their perception is and et cetera. But that's a much better way to go about it. Yeah, and, and that, that way you get more of a purchase on it. Again, that goes back to, you know, the epistemological access we have to desires, you may be able to notice the way someone acts and then make, you know, some sort of conclusion about the desire they have, but only they have access to what they're actually feeling. So through that conversation, you can get better purchase on it. Yeah. And then we end up, uh, you know, always, which I noticed in your notes, we will, we'll hit on, but you know, the intentions and who dictates what good intentions are, you know, um, you know, know, let's just call it behind this screen, you know, we're asking these questions like where do these desires arise and how do they align with fitness? We're going to eventually come down to the intentions and, and recognizing what is good in that, you know, and I don't want to lead it into the fitness intention arena all over again. um, Although we do need to touch it a tiny bit um, because I guess we want to talk about how it leads into what you defined as satisfaction, right? And is that satisfaction, um, you know, leading towards addiction leading towards hedonism, leading towards narcissism. You know what I'm saying? But in their mind, the observer's mind, it's still satisfying. So we got we to back way up and, and have this discussion, which I, I know we need to on the base of those desires and fumble, I think, a bit with that today. And then future more, we can get into saying, you know, this is what your desire should be. And I'll just stamp your name next to it, uh, Robbie, when you say it. Well, that's, that's one of the things, yeah, I would love to get into that today. Like even the question, like, and we'll, we'll get to this, like, can we even coherently say this is what one's desire should be? Like, mm-hmm. can we choose our wants? Do we even yeah. have the ability to do that? But I agree with you about the point about, you know, um, there are different types of desires and some can obviously lead, especially in fitness to addiction, mm-hmm. you know, um, there, there can be things that lead you in a good direction, but there can also be kind of this, I, I need, I need the wad. I need yes. the you yep. that adrenaline hit and it becomes uh, perverse or, yes. you know, uh, not, not, not good. Yes. Um, yeah. And I, uh, I was thinking about that prior to our discussion today. And uh, I was just wondering what your thoughts are on creating some real remedial um, understanding of just human desires. I think that's where we were going there on the nature of desire and kind of deciding upon what those definitions could be. But are there some basic human desires that we could start with a base support that's been observed for like, you know, millions, hundred million people for a long period of time that are like, well, these are just the things we do. Right. Um, yeah. Inside of that, which is why it's so robust is that inside of that there's, you know, time has changed human desires, right. Uh, uh, culture has changed human desires. Um right. You know, our current landscape of health and fitness, which is where we, we're going to be playing in, changes our desires. Um, so I'm hoping we can, we can go there because from just from my knowledge, 
Um, I, I read uh, Architecture of the Mind by uh, Panskep and Bliven. And um, they, they do a really fine job of, you know, just describing this generalized concept of, of all humans have these basic tendencies of emotions and one of them being seeking. Um, and I, I'm tying that in, in my language anyways, to where desire sits inside of that, that it's probably deep inside of us to have some kind of like initiative to adapt and find things and move forward. And I'm, I think desire is, is pushed up against that. So that's where I'm hoping we can get to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I guess we can kind of, we can jump right into that, talk a bit about what types of desires we have as humans. So yeah. Yeah. they're the typical based ones that, I mean, I don't mean based in a pejorative sense here. I don't mean like, you know, bad or wrong or something like that. Just yeah. um, more like a baseline or base level that we're all typically equipped with. Yeah. So these are for things like food, water, sex, sleep, pleasure seeking, pain avoiding, surviving, reproducing. And then there are higher order ones. Again, not in any, I don't want to say like a normative sense. We can talk about whether these are good or bad or not, but just saying like these get developed later. Mm -hmm. Uh, Things like community, intellectual development, novelty, love, um, purpose, and meaning. And then there's the famous uh, quote from John Stuart Mill, a philosopher, where he said, uh, it's better to be Socrates unsatisfied than a pig satisfied. And the idea there in his mind that you know, we can talk about is um, when we weigh certain desires qualitatively in terms of the happiness they bring about and fulfillment, the idea is like, and of course, John Stuart Mill's easy utilitarianism. So um, there is a utilitarian. So he, he talks about this idea, um, you know, a million people scratching an itch doesn't generate as much happiness as one person reading a book or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Trying to elucidate the fact that, um, you know, when we, when we talk about happiness and desire fulfillment, it's not just these uh, base level desires. There's, there's a higher qualitative element to certain desires compared to, to others. Yeah. Yeah. I immediately thought as you were mentioning that in terms of how uh, these basic uh, needs and wants uh, just change as we age. Again, I'm going back to that because I, I think we always fall prey to lumping fitness and its prescription and what people do and their desires around that. And we're just like, this is just the way it is. And we forget to think that like, you know, at 12 years of age, you know, maybe I don't even have the pieces to create specific kind of desires that are necessary to formulate a plan towards fitness. You know what I'm saying? And if that is the case, then maybe when I'm 23, I still don't have the full faculties, you know, to actually, to actually like even observe those desires that I do or may, you know, may, you know, have over time as my systems develop, my brain grows and et cetera. And then now that I'm 44, 46, sorry, my age personally, you know, I do have different desires and they're probably, you know, as my life experience has increased and all those days have gone by, those desires are, you know, are quite different. So that's what I, that's what I immediately think about with regards to those basic ones and the more advanced version ones or the, what we call higher order desires. There probably is a timeline sequence where there's the right time and opportunity to understand those, you know? Um, and that's all leading back to, um, well, not all leading back, but it's just growth and development, you know, periods of time you're growing and then you're peaking and then you're just resisting entropy. Um, I think desires may be, you know, imprinted in there as well to start with our basic understanding of like humans across the board, we all have desires. What are they? And I'm just saying that you probably want to use a a chronological age 
uh, context to that as well and recognize, especially as fitness coaches, that people you're going to get in front of you are very different along those areas, you know, in general. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think this is one of the most interesting questions we can ask with regard to desires today with respect to fitness. There's, I'd say these three questions that I would say overlap, but we can say that they're distinct too. you know, there's the question of our desires timeless or time bound. Are they nature or are they nurture? And are they biological versus cultural? And, you know, I think that that's a super interesting one today specifically yeah. for um, fitness is clearly there are certain aspects of um, fitness that go back to who we are just as, you know, homo sapiens. Mm-hmm. But then there are, you know, um, other aspects today that are cultural, the wad muscle ups, yeah. you, you know what I mean? That, yeah. um, um, are, are, are different things. So it's, it's a very interesting question. Where do these desires come from? And then, which is a descriptive question. And then there's the deeper philosophical question, like, what are the implications of that? Mm-hmm. What, what do we do with that as coaches and clients? Mm-hmm. Like, what do we make of those facts? Yeah. 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 That's fascinating. Um, it's too much for me actually to actually comment on for the three, you know, the three areas. And now I'm, as I'm starting to discuss it, I can understand how deep it is because um, it's not just wants and needs, you know, there's so much that colors that, you know, from the their human experience and all the things you mentioned that have to go into it. Um, I think what's uh, what's what might be good though, Robbie is for um, us to arrive at like the next area past just humans have specific desires and let's maybe let's maybe lean into maybe a specific desire if that's possible like some specific desires that are current within fitness and then we can say okay you know let's just take that one example and say where did that come from is it actually um have has utility you know does it you know and then and then we can work backwards against all other desires and say that's you know yeah what about physical expression hey And I think, I think everyone can agree whether they use that language or not, um, that humans innately have some sort of drivenness to um, engage in physical activities and not just for the purpose of survival. Mm-hmm. That, that's part of it, of course, but yeah. there's also an enjoyment factor. So I guess let's start there. Yeah. Well, we know, we know that to be not just because it's observed and people do it and it's inside a society, but uh, we know it from a number of different cases. Uh, the first argument would be younger children showing signs of play and roughhousing and activity. Um, and so, it, you know, it is embedded inside of us. Uh, number two, previous reference, like for us to actually evolve and continue to evolve, we had to move and be mobile. Um, and not mobile in the sense of like the supple leopard mobile, but mobile as a society and mobile actively in order to hunt and gather and kind of, you know, move ourselves around. Um, and then more recently, especially over the technological revolution, post-industrial revolution, um, we have recognized the importance of that to maintain this balance of cognitive function, right? Now, not everyone has recognized that, but... You know, it, it has been known for, I just read a Wendell Berry book, you know, of even the 70s, and he would say back in the 20s, 1920s, we still recognize this impending thing that was going to be technology 
that was going to slow down this opportunity for movement. And so there was always these thinkers and observers who would look at that and go, that's probably going to mean something bad if we don't continue to physically express ourselves, right? That's another area where we know it actually is, you know, apparent and obvious that physical expression is deeply embedded inside of us and it's a part of our culture and things that we do. And then there, I believe, you know, to my last point of, of where physical expression sits on that um, as possibly just being a part of what we do and a possible embedded desire we're not even aware of or are aware of is that we, when we see it and when most people see it, like when you see Michael Jordan, when you saw him play or when you saw Nadia Comaneci in the Olympics um, or when you see someone sprinting, you know, hundred meters, regardless of ESPN's coverage, there's something beautiful and human about that, you know, uh, that across the board, you take a thousand people and 998 of them are go, I don't know what that was, but that was beautiful to watch. Right. So that's a physical expression that we don't even know where that comes from or that love, you know, to be able to see it and spot it. But in the maximal physical expression arena, it's observed by a majority of all other humans as being something that special, even if they can't even put language to it, if I'm making sense. So that would be a number of different, you know, reasons why physical expression could be um, a desire we could start with and then, and then have a jump off point as to, you know, what that means for people and, and not, not to get to the end of the, the, the issue with it is that um, like we know, and I say it all the time, but, it's been, you know, we've hijacked all these things inside of that physical expression to be used as a desire, but it's, it's just incorrectly aligned. You know, that's the sad part about it. Um, there's all these other things of outcomes that people want from that physical expression that they're just forgetting about the natural internal instinct for physical expression being this, this beautiful thing that we have that we can just do all the time. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. And um, it, as you were saying that, it kind of made me think of sometimes how philosophers think of uh, art or beauty, which I'm sure we'll do an episode on at some point. But the idea that unlike something else that's like a means to an end with art and beauty, there's like um, a purposefulness without a purpose. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Like, um, so, you know, Michael Jordan wasn't doing what he was doing to survive or reproduce. Uh, it wasn't just for that dopamine hit. It kind of transcended that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so we can talk about, you know, when we're born, we have this desire for movement that, you know, serves a particular function to crawl and walk and do all these other things. But then how it can develop throughout a lifetime, going back to what you were saying about um, it beca- can become something so much more yes. than this base level mechanical thing. Yes. And it's expressed in multiple different ways. That's the beauty around it is that uh, the carpenter is, you know, very similar to the elite dancer in New York you know, on stage, there is just, they all have their own medium of it and they may not even be aware of what that's like, but I see them as one, the same. It's just a physical expression. Right. Um, and one may do it for this and one may do it for this, but it still is, um, something that's, uh, that's an opportunity for them to, to put their body into space and, uh, and to figure out, you know, really how to create this, uh, this big buffer zone so that they can navigate this entire thing more effectively over time. You know, that's the beautiful thing around it. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, I think we both agree. And I think most people would agree that clearly 
physical expression or movement in general is it, it, it's it's innate it's, it's an instinct it's it's a mm-hmm. desire that we all have you could even go as far as to say you know maybe we can't quantify over all animals but we could say the vast majority of animals have a similar um instinct it's biological it's natural it's, it's not something that you know with instinct it's something where if you tried to restrict it mm-hmm. you know in an animal or a human they're gonna they're gonna bump up against yes. it and they're gonna resist and that desire will come out um, so this doesn't guess, mean also, sorry, Robbie, it also doesn't know, mean no, no, that please. it also doesn't mean that there's not like, you know, people who don't believe in this, right. Cause that's very strong. Um, and there's, there's, and with good intentions, but you know, um, you know, just be, just because, because I was just thinking about it, you know, if I was just anyone listening to that and what I'm, what I could take from it is that, oh, it's just innate for people to move but then they can just quickly look around in an airport and go, are you kidding me? Like, but there's obviously something missing then if you really think that it's innate for that desire for movement. So that's my point is that just because that's what you're observing doesn't mean that that's not deeply inside of us. Right. And then we can core, of course, go to another arena and say, just because it's not observed in people for morality or other kinds of things, it doesn't mean that it's not deeply embedded inside of them. So, um, I still believe, and I'll, I'll go down swinging that, uh, there's a desire and impetus for people to, uh, to move um, uh, and, and to do physical expression. And uh, just because they're not doing it doesn't mean that they're not capable of doing it. Yeah, yeah agreed. And, and this is where things can get, you know, hijacked. Of course, you know, we've got, um, you know, uh, a natural ability to, to run the way we should. And then it gets all messed up or to breathe correctly and that yes. gets all messed up. So I guess that gets into, you know, we've talked about a little bit of the biological side. Yeah. Let's talk about how the cultural side, you know, maybe there's some good aspects to the cultural side with like basketball mm-hmm. or other things. Yeah. But culture can sometimes mess up biology. Yeah. You know, these cultural desires in fitness can bump up against what's natural. Yeah. Yeah. We're well, I mean, that's a, that's a long story if you're indirectly asking how that came to be, but really it was just, uh, um, you know, um, you know, a nasty collision of, uh, people this, I call it like a long term, slowly leaking play of increase in technology and information. Um, and this long term, actually it's a stark increase in technology and information sharing, but this, long slow improvement in industry um which moved most of us towards not having to move to like do stuff day to day and it was that like crisscross in the early early or late 90s i guess early 2000s when was the iphone oh, 2006 something like that 2007 2007 yeah so i mean that you can find a whole bunch of different things, you know, in terms of data and studies where there was a crisscross that happened in 2007 um, and before that, but I would say a stark increase after that point in time with that advent of, uh, of what's called, you know, just being social and not being movement when you're being social. Um, So I think that's how we, that's how we got to that point, to your point where our desires are really weird on physical expression today. I don't know any way to describe it. Um, and they're not always wrong, but they need a little, they need some dialogue, right? They need some dialogue and asking questions like, well, why really are you moving? Right. Or why do you, why do you think I'm talking to a client here now? Right. I say, why do you think that we probably have this natural desire to physically express ourselves? Right. And 
what they think is the answer to that is is due to this like 30 years of of just i would i just call it just kicking the shit out of fitness that's how i describe it right losing this whole thing of to your point doing it but without a specific purpose you know just because you can you're, you're doing this physical expression because you can so let's just enjoy the process of like physically expressing and finding solutions to movement and like adapting and overcoming right and nowhere in there did i say lose body fat six-pack abs you know be social um you know people are going to love you now <laughs> etc they all look like desires to do the to do the fitness <laughs> but but what does that end up doing is that we reverse engineer it back and we recognize their intentions are all off um because they didn't understand this uh this really you know low purpose desire for fitness and the right reasons for it. So it got weird. Yeah. And I think this is one of the ways, you know, we don't necessarily mean to suggest that, you know, this is a trend within philosophy and other studies where, you know, biology, good culture, bad, yeah. you know, we don't, we don't mean to say something like that, but, but mm -hmm. there, there are very real ways in which culture and certain developments in culture have negatively influenced these yeah. otherwise good biological instincts to to move in certain ways um you know i think like you said it, it does go back a lot to industrial culture and like time efficiency and you know what goal are we accomplishing by doing this yes um what purpose is this um serving and that you know leads to uh, it, it's kind of crazy when you think about it these you know these desires are hardwired and biological and instinctual and yet culture can have such a profound effect on changing those mm -hmm. around, you know, um, turning those into something that aren't necessarily headed in the right direction. So it's a very interesting yeah. uh, fact how powerful culture can be upon these biological desires that we have, I think. Yeah. And I know where, what are the way in my lens, I see it, the, 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 the issue is that people just immediately want to go to the areas surrounding who's in power and who makes all those decisions. And I think that's the wrong place to go. I think you're just going to get drowned out for two decades and trying to figure out how this all came to be, you know, instead just go back and be a philosopher on the concept and say, you know, well, how do we remedy this whole thing? If we really believe that physical expression is a desire and it's embedded and et cetera, like how do we continue to, to act upon that? And then I think people can be more agile with being dealt with this, this issue, right? Where culture says this, but we biologically know this, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't think all the time should be spent on the argument around how that culture and whatever's inside of it has power to dictate what happens there, you know, just way too much energy spent over there incorrectly. And I fall prey to that a lot too. Um, but I, I just make mention it to inspire people inside of this questioning, you know, around, physical expression and um, the desires around that, you know? So one thing that just came to mind as you were saying that, that I'm curious to hear your thoughts on is, um, you know, what role should we play as coaches or parents? And, you know, assuming, so we, we agree that these desires for movement and physical expression are, you know, instinctive, um, to what extent, you know, uh, should a coach or a parent play a role in nurturing those, you know, does, does the parent or coach just get out of the way and let instinct run yeah. its course? Do they help direct that in helpful ways? Like what role can culture and 
coaching and parenting play in, in guiding those desires. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, that's a, that's a great one. I do have a quick answer. The, the real quick answer for it is you've got to, you've got to define and be aware and understand your own journey in the process first. That's what, that's what you got to really recognize. You got to struggle with those things like we talked about on virtues and autonomy and um, you got to do that yourself. That, and you got to recognize that that's a journey. That's not like an overnight thing where you're like, oh, I'm going to learn these things in two weeks and I'm going to pass it on to everyone else. It's like, it's a long-term play uh, for you to get it before you can like, like you're asking, bleed it out to, to others, right? Um, you also have to understand, um, just because it's tip of the tongue on, you know, reading some of Robert Pullman's stuff on inheritability and genetic traits and et cetera, and Charles Murray's concept on it too for sex and gender and, and race and diversity amongst that. You have to recognize too that those inheritable things um, um, matter, but they don't make a massive difference. Now, I, I'm not going to just going to stop at that because that can get really lengthy. But you just have to recognize that you're always going to have to try to find this balance in this helping and guiding other people, but full well know that there's some deep embedded stuff inside of them that dictates what they're going to do and where they're going to where they're going to blend and where they're going to have great energies and how they're going to do the things that they want to do. So I'll back up to answer your question, you know, short and very quickly. Um, how does someone do that? Or what do we say to impart that, you know, inspiration for people to do that? Um, you got to figure out your own, uh, your own shit. <laughs> you got to raise awareness in your own autonomy, in your own beliefs in physical expression. Um, you got to ask yourself the hard questions like, what are you doing? that would show you're like on that journey of understanding physical expression and your desires around it. And your you know, and I think as that grows and that grows, you're going to be able to speak to it really clearly to other people, children, friends, clients, etc., because you know it and you understand it and you understand all the struggles that you're going to go through when you want to teach other people about it. But reason why I mentioned the heritability stuff, know this, that each of those people are unique, even your children, right? And so they will all have different, slight different desires and slight different, you know, ways of wanting to go about things that you can't change. You can impart some guidance based upon that, but you can't formally like make some big impact on it. And I think that's important to state, Robbie, because people think that, you know, coaches have this key and they understand this like, higher order concepts of fitness. They're like, I'm going to teach everyone. And then, and then they just get tripped up because they're like, Oh wow. You know, these thousand people that have come in front of me actually don't have the parts and pieces to have the same similar desires that I think everyone should have for physical expression. Right. It's like, just hold up now. And generally where I find the issue is that um, coaches just are not taking enough time to like look at their own journey for a long enough period of time. Right. And then so when they do, then they start falling in love with this concept over time that movement is something that um, we need to be grateful for, that we're capable of doing, and that we can do and we can do it for us. Um, and allows us to experience these physical expression opportunities with uh, no real purpose currently to today, uh, but just to like grow our mind and, and maybe teach others about that wonderment and beauty of that physical expression. Yeah, I like that a lot. And that made me think of, you know, going back to the idea of a long-term play and having experience with it. It brought me back to our, our virtue conversation when we talked about how 
you know, the virtuous person needs tons of experience, you know, in these different situations. And it also brought me back to that conversation in virtue about how virtue is a mean in between two extremes. And that made me think of the desire for fitness. So on your fitness journey, you know, we all encounter times where it's like, eh, I don't really want to do that. And then we all encounter times where it goes to like obsession or addiction where it's mm -hmm. kind of too far in the other direction and um, going through that experience and being able to come to a happy middle where it's more the intrinsic value of the activity rather than the wads, points, competition on the ground, gonna die. Yeah. Uh, and the, no, I don't wanna go. My personal trainer's gotta make me do the stuff and you know yell at me and make me do this. There, there's kind of this happy medium that you find through experience that is a virtue in between these, maybe we call them vices, but just two, two extremes. Yeah, yes, um, yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Fitness desires. Yeah. So yeah, just something I thought of, but, um, yeah. <laughs> and so I guess with observing it that same way. Yeah. Um, so I guess something we can discuss that, um, goes back to a question you initially raised, hmm. Um, is about the extent to which does, you know, so there's one question, which is, can our desires change throughout our life? I think we can all agree the answer is very much yes. Mm -hmm. um, but then we can explore what are the ways in which they change and how does that affect fitness? Mm -hmm. But to me, one of the most interesting questions that I always used to discuss when I was teaching philosophy is, to what extent can we change our desires? Mm -hmm. um, do we have voluntary, to what extent do we have voluntary control over changing our desires? And if we don't have such control, what sense does it make to say that we should have certain desires? You know, to say someone should have certain desires implies that they can have voluntary control over those things. So um, I guess one thing, yeah, so I guess maybe let's start with the, let's start with the first question first. Let's start with um, to what extent do our desires with regard to fitness change over a lifetime and how does that affect, you know, how the coach should think of um, the client in relation to fitness. I guess that would be one question that we can start with and then we can move to the question about can we change our desires? Yeah, I think uh, by not backing up again to like ending up with, you know, 17 iterations of why, well, why, well, why, um, you know, I think it, the, the, the coach needs to recognize the current year, you know, the current date and time um, what's happening, what's, what's relevant inside a culture. That's, that's, I think where the coach needs to go to be able to answer that question. Um, because if you're not aware of that, you can have a really hard time understanding, um, what that person's desires are before you even get to like, you know, what, what you call like a, a golden book in terms of like what those desires should be for fitness. Uh, I don't, I don't think you can even enter in there. If, you, if everyone, both the coach and the client, are not really, you know, open to this understanding that uh, the, the, your desires in fitness may or may not be what they're supposed to be, and, you know, without asking that initial starting question, Robbie, of like trying to figure out what level of awareness is this client at, so I can even at least, you know, breach that question, right, of like, what do you believe, you know, desires should be in fitness for people as a whole? You know, like, why should, you know, why should we be striving towards these things? So I think that uh, 
that's where I would ask the coach to start is to really think about, you know, current time, current culture and, and everything that we're all inside of. And then you're probably going to have to work hard to work backwards to get to these basics understandings of, uh, of their desires around fitness. And in that story, it's a great one, right? Because you'll come up with and realize like I have, uh, it'll, you know, it continuously surprises me, right? Which just shows that it's, it's, it's always going to evolve that people's desires in fitness in 2001 are really, really different than 2020 of the same like avatar group of people, you know what I'm saying? So um, just because I observed that and I hear it through coaches all the time, um, that's what I would say that you need to recognize is that the fact remains that that's why I always like using time, right? In 1963 versus 88 versus 2006 versus 2020, people's general desires in fitness are really different, really different. So if that is fact, right, if that is fact, then that should be your base support for deciding how you get into conversation around uh, uh, fitness desires for a coach today. So you start with that deep noticing project and descriptive yeah. project of like what the desires actually are at this particular yeah. time for this particular person who's at this age. Yeah. Um, Cause I think we, I think it's so easy to, to just want to fast track it, right. To get to this, like, okay, we got all through that, but really <laughs> we all know it's for you to look good naked, you know? Um, so let's, you know, um, but that's not always the case, you know, but uh, it's not saying you don't want to uncover that. Right. Cause I mean, just to take the example, like we did with physical expression as an N equals one. Um, there's a lot of people that do uh, fitness or have desires in fitness for the outcomes of uh, finding a mate, you know? Um, and that's a, that's a, that's a desire that's deep down inside that they possibly can't even language. Right. So again, it doesn't mean that you're not going to end up there and it's all for nothing. It's just that you gotta, you gotta start talking about what this global, you know, structure is, that, that uh, what we're considering desires and fitness for most people. And then at least they'll start like the person, the client will start nipping away at this, like, well, what are my real des deepest desires, you know, and what I'm trying to get from this. And then as the coach observes this and see it all happening, the coach learns a whole ton, which is so positive. Right. Um, and then secondarily, the client will get to this, this, um, you know, personally uh, observed, um, uh, way of understanding what their, what their deepest desires are at this current time, you know, at this current time. Right. And that, I mean, yeah, I, that made me think of so many things. So one is, uh, you know, going back to our point about the, how desires relate to the time, you know, you could talk about, well, you know, chronological time. You can talk about 1963 versus 2020. You can talk about an 83-year-old American in 2020 versus an 83-year-old American in 1920. You can talk about age with respect to that. You can talk about that same 83-year-old American, you know, now versus three months from now. So there are all these different elements of time that play a role. The second thing I thought of that I thought was super interesting is, uh, you know, going back to a little bit of a distinction between desires and intentions, Desires for a lot of us tend to be like emotional, intuitive, non-propositional, non-conceptual before even language. So for us to even be able to like express these things, you know, sometimes we don't even, A, we don't even know they're there, but B, even if we tap into them, it's hard for us to adequately and appropriately express um, 
So that just made me think of, you know, the, the relationship between the coach and the client and teasing these out over time and, mm-hmm. um, you know, getting at what someone's true desires are. Yeah. And that's why I was saying, I, I love that truest desires. Uh, cause when I say truest desires, or when I think about it, that means that there are some truth of this general desires that are inside of us that we can't even language. Right. And I think that's where I'm asking, uh, Uh, all coaches to kind of just think harder on. Right. And it doesn't mean you're going to land again at something where it's like, Oh, wow. Uh, You know, lust is a deep desire inside of all of us. And let's just like wrangle that one inside of fitness. Like, no, just observe that it's probably possible that that lust is embedded inside of whatever their experiences are. Right. And their physical expression and their other things they want to do in our conversation we're talking about in fitness. Right. But uh, that's all I'm saying is, is for coaches to, try to figure out their own competency level of understanding all those base levels of desires and that can drive at least a a deeper conversation. Um, And in the end, it's may never get to the highest order version of the greatest intentions of fitness, but at least you're, you're not going to turn your back on the fact that, you know, people probably have these, these desires they can't even create language to, like you said, um, but they're still doing it, you know? Yeah. And doing that deeper investigation into, you know, desires that may have come about as a result of culture, like on a marathon or catch the 5k or something like that. And yeah. no one intrinsically, I mean, you can correct me if you think I'm wrong here. I don't think anyone intrinsically or instinctively has a desire to run a marathon. What they do have is they have a desire to, that, that is what's deemed fit Yeah, in, in like yeah. culture and, uh, or to deadlift a certain amount or to do the wad. So trying to, I guess, as a coach or someone observing this stuff, link what someone is saying, what, what they're putting language to with what the, you know, is it a feeling of belonging? Is it a feeling of meaning? What, what sort of thing are we getting at here? What's the true desire there? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. As you were saying that I was trying to think of, uh, you know, I was trying to visualize, you know, a group of, uh, humans in front of me that were just willing to participate in some kind of physical expression um, athlete camp, group class, individual design, micro gym. And I'm looking out across all of them and I'm just thinking how wonderful it would be if they all were somewhat more aware of what their deepest desires were and they were vulnerable in speaking about it, you know, like really aware of it. And then just being like, you know, I just found it funny, you know, just imagine Robbie, sorry, this totally loses folks, but this is how I was visioning it. You know, on your shirt, you'd have to wear a T-shirt that said what your deepest desires were that no one else, (laughs) no one else in the class would be able to read it except the coach. So the coach gets to see all that, you know what I'm saying? So, but, but it's like, you know, I just want to be loved, you know, and that's, that's what's on the shirt. And then another person is like, I just want to mate, you know? Um, And another person is like, I just don't want to be depressed, you know? And then, you know, so, and all these deepest desires are like front and front evident, you know, um, and that, uh, the way I visualize that way is what you were saying. It is like, that would be so, you know, wonderful if we develop relationships over time where we were just okay with the recognition that our, that our desires are not really well aligned argument, argumentatively, um, around fitness, you know what I'm saying? Like fitness still becomes this placeholder for this, these experiences of figuring out how I can become more belonged or how I can be more secure or how I can build resilience and, you know, and things like that. 
um, and just fucking just fucking get on with it. Like just fucking realize that's the case and just fucking keep moving, you know, I mean, uh, and, but I think we need to get to that, right. Where the t-shirt comes out and you, know, you just really say, um, you know, like I've, I've rehabbed a lot of, uh, people, which, which would make sense. A lot of, a lot of athletes through this whole area of, you know, going after an understanding of their deepest desires. And it was, it would, it led to some real nihilistic things in some cases, but in others, it was some massive growth because they were wrapping their whole identity around this like physical struggle and whatever language they were hijacking from whoever else in culture to use. And then when I really asked them those questions, even the analogy of the t-shirt, which I didn't use to them, they were like, you know, I just want to be really liked. And I really want to be liked. Like I, 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 uh, I found an opportunity through fitness where, you know, it was one of those things where I noticed um, in my formative years that, you know, people really like me when I do this, you know? And so that built their entire story, you know, and it made it very stressful and a lot of tension to them over time. And then when I proposed the idea, it's like, maybe you're doing this because you just want to be liked. Is that a possibility? And you can see just their world start to, to crumble down on them. Right. But I was like, but that's a, that's a very positive thing. It's a positive attribute. You still accept, except you just have to recognize just how far you can go in that arena. So just because I proposed the idea, they need to create some more awareness around it. We don't judge it and like rip it apart. Now it's just that you just do need to recognize that that's your deepest desires. Anyways, that was lengthy, but um, yeah, I love that conversation. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Do you Whereas watch the uh, one freak some people out? That's not how I view everyone, but uh, I wish that was the case. <laughs> Well, it's funny that you mentioned that. Do you watch Westworld at all? I did for a few shows and my wife wasn't interested and we have to combine on show watching. So it didn't work out. Okay. Awesome show. Probably one of the best like philosophical investigations. Anyway, okay. one of the things in season three is there's a character who wears a shirt <laughs> that literally says on the shirt, what is the... His desires are in the future and like as he's like going through his emotions you can see the change so oh just wow made, oh it's so good so just good. made me think of that but yeah I, I think i think there's something um to that in the sense that obviously there's a connection between our emotional selves and our rational selves but a lot of times there's a there's a disconnect mm -hmm. and we, we don't know how to put language or uh, words to what it is we're feeling. We, we, we are all born with all these kind of deep seated desires and needs and emotions, but um, sometimes it, it takes a coach to, you know, dig down and well, why are you really doing this? Well, to be liked or, you know, to yes. do other things. So yeah, sometimes it does take that work. And I, you know, I think too, when I have, you know, initial meetings with people sometimes before they've even signed up, it's like, well, they say X, Y, and Z about why they want to do, fitness or nutrition, but how, how surface level is that compared to like those deep real reasons that you only really come to once you've worked with or, um, you know, uh, spoken with them at a at greater length. Yes. So. Yes. Um, I'm glad you reiterated again. I just find the importance for coaches to listen up and hear what Robbie said on taking into consideration a, a, a general assumption as to what you think their, their, uh, desires could be you know, based upon their age and culture and how they present. I mean, that's really important, right? Um, you know, you get a 17 year old in front of you today that really, you know, just wants to experience fitness. That's the surface level conversation, but you got to recognize that, um, you know, they, 
the the 34 year old you know shouldn't be you know generally acting the same way for the same desires you know so you 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 got to be have to it's fair to make those general assumptions right uh, maybe 34 is not a correct example but if you got someone at 51 who still wants to be liked that doesn't make it wrong but you've got to be like just a second now like based upon the general concept of living you know um shouldn't you be past that you know what i'm saying um i'm just bringing it up because crazy on Instagram. We still see so many people who you can see their deepest desires are still want to be liked, you know, at, a, at an older age where, you know, uh, 40 years ago, everyone else of their peers would be like, just get over it, dude. Like, get on with living your life. <laughs> um, yeah. Sorry. So right. I, I'm agreeing with that, that uh, um, as a good reminder um, to coaches to really, really think about what you're, pre who's presenting, you know, in front of you. And it's fair and game to make all these general assumptions as to what those basic desires could be. And I think that's a safe spot for your brain to go in order to kind of organize things for people. Right. Um, and this is where, of course, we haven't, you know, we haven't done the whole laundry list, Robbie, here today of like what all those possible desires could be, right? For a 16 year old in 2020 and a 44, you know. But uh, I think just by you thinking about that, now that you know about it, it'll certainly help you as a coach. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess the second question we can talk about since we've talked about that first one a bit is um, to what extent can desires change over time and to what extent are they in our voluntary control? So, and, and what are the implications for this? So I think pretty much anyone who thinks about it has to admit that our desires are not in our voluntary control. It's not like sitting down in a chair. I can't, mm -hmm. you know, I could sit down in a chair right now and then stand back up and that's in my voluntary control. I can't suddenly say, oh, you know what? I really like opera. Uh, that's just not going to happen, right? So we have to admit that. But someone might object and they might say, well, that's true. Desires aren't in my voluntary control, but what I can do is I can habituate myself to certain desires. I can go through certain actions, whether it's engaging in fitness activities or going to the opera or trying broccoli repeatedly to hopefully come to have an appreciation of those things and desire them. Now, part of that is true, but the other part of it is that process doesn't always work. You could do that process repeatedly and still hate broccoli just as much or opera or fitness. Um, furthermore, you have no control over like at what time would those desires change if they were to change. Mm -hmm. So the whole point of discussing all that is just to say that we have the desires we have and they absolutely do change over time. You know, we go from wanting to play with toys and dolls to not, and then we, you know, uh, eventually in puberty develop sexual attraction and things like that. But I always thought it was an interesting philosophical question. And I think it's interesting in fitness. If our desires aren't in our voluntary control, what implications are there for fitness, for coaching fitness? You know, we, we don't have the ability to change these via our voluntary control. And it's not always the case that we can change them via habit. Um, so what, what do we make of that? What are the implications of that for the practice of fitness? Uh, yeah, I immediately think that the coach just needs to uh, uh, adapt an understanding of that, like recognize that if there's no voluntary control possibly, and um, well, we're going to agree there's no voluntary control, and those are just, you know, things that we all have, I've used the word embedded inside of us, um, and fitness doesn't like, you know, 
run up against it really cleanly, you just got to adapt. You just got to like create the setting and create the atmosphere and honor the person and honor the individual. Uh, just recognizing that you'll have some struggles. That's the way I would look at it. It's, you know, um, I, I wouldn't see it as being, I think maybe for you and I, it's kind of cool to like dig deep on how that would be like just a horrible, you know, horrible ending. Um, if that was the case, what we bump up against. But uh, I think a coach just has to be adaptable. Just be like, yeah, you know what? Like, I'll just give an example. I just write down a list of some of those things that, uh, that Panskip and Bliven were talking about of those basic desires of like nurture and play and lust. And then at lust, I stopped. I was like, <laughs> where does that fall into this landscape? You know, the fitness, the fitness landscape. And as a coach, you just got to go like, it doesn't you're like, I mean, you know, you're not going to set your class up so that everyone can, you know, uh, be, be seen as a possible partner. Um, you know, so we can, you know, have fitness to observe these opportunities for us to be like, do I really think that person is, you know, attractive? Um, you know, and it, that, that's not where it is. What we're just saying is like, you just got to recognize that is the case and you got to find where fitness fits into those, those basic desires. Um, and that's where I was thinking, as you were saying it, Robbie, the, again, it's important that we recognize we're agreeing that there's these basic desires and then past those basic desires, there, there really is just like an, like a huge opportunity to try to individualize based upon what those human desires are. Um, and just recognize that fitness doesn't always fall perfectly in line with like, uh, being able to express all those natural human desires beyond just, you know, having enough food and shelter and, and security and et cetera. So, uh, yeah, to, to recap on that, just, just be adaptable, right? Just recognize that it's not going to be perfect alignment. And, uh, and to, as you were telling the story too, just, just to use those the words that I use on it, uh, back to your point on just continually eating broccoli and, you know, et cetera. I'm glad you use broccoli again. Appreciate that. Um, is that the, the words that I use is that that's what I love about fitness too, though, by the way, Robbie, is that, you know, it's a physical expression and a manifestation of physical expression that if it's not aligned, it will be clearly obvious over time because it's a material system that when that is not aligned effectively, it actually wears down and it becomes really high drag. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and there's all kinds of then confusion and tension and all these things arise. Um, and then we go back up Robbie and what you get is that someone's desires are completely malaligned inside of fitness. You know what I'm saying? And that's why I love fitness. Right? I know that sounds so stupid, but that's why I love it because it, it hits you with the truth, right? It's like, you, like, to your point, you want to continue to eat broccoli, even though it's, you know, it's not a desire of yours. Well, maybe you won't really reach this end result that's too problematic. But inside of fitness, you're going to come up against some high amount of tension when those desires are malaligned for it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... Um one of the things that may be important for coaches or just people in general to recognize is that it, it's certainly the case. And we'll talk about this more when we get to the intention episode. And when we talk more about morality and things like that, we all have certain desires, but it doesn't mean we have to act on those desires. We can have attentions that, you know, go above those desires or go in a different direction, yes. but, you know, just recognizing that saying someone should or should not have a certain desire you know, mm -hmm. 
Yeah. To, to what extent can we say someone should have something if they have no voluntary control over that thing? Now we can say someone should have an intention. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's that's more uh, conceptual, propositional, rational things like that. But desires are these these more primal things that are not. They they certainly change, but they are not directly in our control. So just recognizing, maybe as a coach or as an individual, that these things are there and. You can say, well, it should be such and such way, but you know, again, like you were saying, like you're going to bump up against the truth again and again. If you're trying to say someone should have this desire, but their desire is to be liked, like mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna run into issues. So just, mm-hmm. I guess, keeping that that fact in mind. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah, and to recap, basically, what we're saying is that just spend a lot of time on the front end, at least having this conversation, right? And just don't presume that it's all going to work out because everyone has these desires and it should be embedded inside of fitness. That's just not going to work out. Um, You know, like fitness can be a medium, like we say, for multiple different desires, right? We use different language, but maybe it'll, if, and I'm not, if I'm cross talking and it's not appropriate, Robbie, let me know. But we talk about fitness being a medium for people to, you know, um, live a larger life towards what is prioritized for them, like what they believe to be a priority. Right. And of course there's a lot of, you know, um, struggling with helping someone essentially truly decide upon what's important to them, right? That's a whole other area. But um, I see desires inside of that, right? A desire to get here or desire to do this. Well, then where does fitness fit in? Back to your previous question on what does a coach do in that situation? You just got to see fitness as a medium, right? To, To allow that, you know, expression towards what their priorities are. So we talk about the the business executive right just sits in a chair and he's there 10 hours a day and all these challenging things that he has to go through but he's really just sitting down in a chair we got to ask ourselves as a as a as a coach like what what is fitness going to do to help him do that right and so you say well there's there there may be some desires that he has inside embedded inside of that search to become the best executive possible of like great mental acuity right and good posture and uh and being resilient and being physically capable of doing like seven meetings in a row. Right. And then you got to tie back how fitness helps that person express that right. Most effectively. And we have to believe that fitness then still acts as a medium of that person's through that person's ultimate desires, which is like to whatever it is to grow the business or to grow their mind or to help other people, et cetera. Um, And so just see where it sits on that. Um, and it'll, you'll, you'll find a spot for it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, one thing I just thought of as you were saying that, and I'm just curious your thoughts, you know, one way you could conceive of, you know, fitness in relation to someone's desires is that, uh, fitness is a means to express someone's desires in certain ways, mm-hmm. but is there maybe a bi-directionality too, where fitness can, so we're agreed, just like we said, I don't want to pretend like I'm going back on what I just said. Changing our desires is not in our voluntary control. It's mm-hmm. never a guarantee that if you repeatedly engage in activity, your desires will change, although that does happen frequently. Mm-hmm. But could there be a bi-directionality where we say, you know, you came in with these desires, we're tailoring your fitness to kind of be that, but then as you go through these these different forms of physical expression, your desires start to change. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and then, you know, you kind of get this loop yeah. That, uh, maybe in a positive direction that, that, that changes things. Yeah. Well, that's why I said sometimes it's positive, sometimes it's not, but it can change. Right. And that's yeah. why I love it is because inside the journey, 
you'll find if, if it's aligned, Robbie, it'll align. It'll, it'll eventually end up being like, Oh, it's changing. It's changing possibly. And now there's just a new language for the correct kind of desire. I probably couldn't language back over here. Right. But uh, yeah, it does happen that way too, where it's like, you know, you get inside of that. And it's like, wow, this is real. You know, there's a lot of tension inside of here. And I love that. Right. As I said, it said, that sounds weird, but I love that. But what an unbelievable gratitude everyone should have then by, by realizing, wow, like that's incorrect alignment. And my, my desires to do that um, are just not leading to something that's, uh, that's worthwhile, you know? And I think that's a positive thing. So I do agree. It can go in multiple directions for it. And uh, we should be open to that. And I think you bring up a good point. We uh, earlier in the week, we, uh, did some posts about how can character be influenced by certain physical activities and people found that mm. interesting but i think i think you're right like it it, it depends on the nature of the activity right yes. <laughs> so like we we, we want to say oh well engaging in fitness will potentially lead to these better desires but it depends on what type of activity you're asking the person to engage in it can breed competitiveness or you exactly. know uh, stubbornness or other things like that so I think that's yeah. a great point yeah um yeah, or to use your word, it can get perverse over time, right? To the point where it's it's leading to an area, um, which maybe is probably another topic for another time too, right? Of the uh, addiction versus you know, hedonism versus satisfaction versus happy versus content versus has utility, right? There's a probably a scalar area there that we could say, how do you determine where which direction you go? And if you're searching for these, you really believe those are your desires and you're going down this route, where do you really determine, you know, like what is actually beneficial in the end, if I'm making sense, because I think you can go down that desirable route for a really long place to your point and not even recognize you're ending up in a spot that has, you know, a really, uh, really rough place, but you're stubborn and you just keep doing it <laughs> because you have that attribute. Right. Um, and you'll go down and burn, uh, just because you're so stubborn. Yeah, it, it initially, I see what you're saying. Like it initially seems like it might lead to kind of a potentially a virtuous path or to, to an alignment with your desires. And like, it seems good initially. And then it's like, oh shit, what yeah. did I get myself into? And Yeah, really yeah. deep down. And it's, and I mean, how do you get there? Well, culture accepts it. The fitness zeitgeist currently accepts it, right? Like, I mean, it's well accepted. So it's not that hard to recognize that people can go down that path. Like lots of people. You know, so I think that may be one for another time is just is tying in that desire and the direction it leads and getting too far down the path and recognizing what is addiction versus what is, is being content. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a good point. Um, one thing that may help us flesh that out um, that I thought might be worth discussing um, there's a famous philosopher named uh, Harry Frankfurt. Uh, he wrote a book called uh, On Bullshit, which people may have heard of. Um, that was kind of more of a popular work, but he, he wrote a lot of other interesting uh, stuff in philosophy. And one of the most interesting pieces that uh, he wrote was about how, what makes us, what he calls persons, um, is our ability to have a hierarchy of desires. So unlike animals, we don't just have what he calls first order desires, um, which are just brute wants. You know, I, I want uh, food, I want sex, I want sleep, uh, what have you. What makes us 
persons, and he uses this in the sense of uh, deserving of moral um, worth and things like that, is the fact that we want to want to do things. Mm-hmm. So I don't just have the desire to eat the cake. I have the desire to not want to eat the cake to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in, first of all, I think this is just an interesting idea in general, but I think in particularly in fitness, it's kind of an interesting one about, um, you know, we, we talk about desires as if they are all on the same level, maybe competing with one another, but this is an interesting way of thinking about how you can have these first order desires and second order desires that sit above them. And Frankfurt's contention is that our ability to act on those second order desires is what makes us um, free. Mm-hmm. We aren't just like uh, animals where you have a desire and you have to fulfill that. Um, we have the ability to think about our wants and then go into a different direction. And whether it's fitness or nutrition or what have you, this is a massive part of what we do, at least initially, where people don't want to eat broccoli. They don't want to run or what have you, but they have this deeper, I want to want to do these things to um, improve myself. So I just thought that was kind of an interesting framework to maybe think about desires in uh, a deeper way in, in relation to fitness. I don't know if you have any thoughts there on that. No, but similar ones to what I said earlier of like, because uh, there's a lot in there for me to just digest in that. Um, I'm really looking forward to reading more about that. Um, of it, it could just be, you know, asking those basic questions of, um, again, the, uh, the alignment of, of the desires around what currently what currently is, is important to you. Um, and then, you know, cause it, cause it may, yeah, I'm just thinking it may still end up being that through dialogue and through their actions as the client, um, and their behaviors, um, you'll be able to find through constant dialogue and constant observation around their actions and behaviors, you should be able to come up with what looks to be true in terms of what those desires are. So I don't want to say that it'll it'll always come back to that, but that's what I think about inside of fitness coaching. When I just put the fitness coach lens on is that those, those desires may be there and they may be able to, um, you know, play with that a little bit. Um, But in the end, I still just would say, Robbie, that I'm not sure if you see it different in your practice, but the more we just have dialogue with people, we're basically just asking, and it's not short like this, but it's basically like, well, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> um, or I'm doing this during this period of time. Well, basically, what, what do you think that means in terms of what's priority for you? Um, and then I think that may lead into determining what their, what their desires are. Um, and then that can, re- then you can reverse it back and go, well, that doesn't align with what you said they were, you know? So, so now, now we're back to this, like, you know, moving things around to your point, changing them because they have the ability to like, want to do something a little bit more in a different direction, you know? Um, so I don't know if it's something more than that, but that's how I, that's how I view that, that, uh, ordering. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to your point about addiction, you know, he has an interesting way of conceptualizing addiction that basically says when you can't act on your second order desire, you are no longer, you're, you're basically in the throes of addiction. Think of a, a, a drug addict who wants to not want to have drugs. 
Yeah. So I, I think of that kind of in the case of um, potentially fitness, although, you know, I think we would both grant it's not anywhere near the same type of addiction as you know, heroin or cocaine or something like that, but where I'm sure you've seen it many times and I've seen it where someone needs the wad, mm-hmm. they need that cortisol bump, they need that, you know, their, their desire <clears throat> for what previously was a good thing, um, you know, physically expressing themselves transforms into this, you know, they need the dopamine rush, they need the cortisol bump. Um, and they, they want to get, maybe they want to get back to doing the right thing, but that, that primal desire has morphed and shifted so much that it's not allowing them to get in line with their true second order desire, which is like, Hey, I want to be healthy and fit, but shit, I need that. I need that. oomph. Yeah. Yeah. Because it fulfills that short term, you know, current need of something. Right. And they just get lost in like the overall deepest, you know, intentions and desires that were inside of fitness for the first place. Yeah. That, yeah, man, that's a, that's a, that's an interesting way you lay that out. Cause I did think of it, of course we talk about it and I'm a language all the time, but um, the way you just said it there <clears throat> makes me think about, you know, how many people did have those really positive, you know, well-aligned, dare we say good, you know, desires um, that when they were struck with something like a challenging physical activity and the dose response of that, because of that physical expression that was probably outside of their capabilities um, because there was other things imparting this, you know, unnatural desire that they had to partake in. There was something happening in a lot of those people's lives at that time where they saw that that, you know, dose response fulfilled a void of some sort, you know, and now due to that, it has changed alignment. You know, I can just imagine how many stories there were of that, where it all started off with good desires, like all good intentions, like we'd say, right? And then it just got, (laughs) it just got finagled, you know, because they attached these, one of these things inside of that, of these, let's call them an incorrect desire now. Um, And they just couldn't, couldn't get out of it, you know, Um, because very much like addiction to other, like, let's call them hard drugs, um, you know, once you're in there, like, it's very difficult. You know, now the alignment is, is serving a whole different purpose, right? It's serving you completely differently. Um, and I know it sounds trite to talk about it in terms of just cortisol for fitness, but it's real. It's really real, you know, and because uh, it's quite powerful. So, yeah. Yeah. And one thing, I, I mean, this might be an entire different discussion for a different time, but I, just, I was just thinking about that as this, as you were saying that, you know, it would be an interesting question and discussion around, you know, the neurology and the neurotransmitters involved in certain activities. Like I just, just thinking off the cuff right now, like doing map 10 work or like, you know, uh, just long sustainable stuff. It's enjoyable. It's a fill it's fulfilling, but it's not, it's not pushing that dopamine button. Yeah. Uh, but, but wads and, you know, th- things constructed in a certain way do, and mm-hmm. we can't, we can't pretend that, you know, desire is not just like a pure mental entity. It's a biological entity. It's a, there, there are these things that lend themselves more to pushing that dopamine button and you become desensitized and you need more of that hit. So uh, I think it's an interesting question in fitness. What, you know, sorts of activities are more likely to lead to that 
versus not, you know, fulfillment and long-term sustainability and enjoyment versus like, you know, need the addiction. So just kind of a, a thought I had there. As yeah. Yeah. That. And that's where I think we'll enter into a subject over time in terms of that for those hedonistic things that people will get into or these other, you know, incorrect aligned, um, dare we say values that are now inside of fitness, you know, and how that all came to be. Um, I think that's generally fixed from the front end, again, back to what we started with today on coaches starting with this whole concept of dialogue around what these possible desires could be inside of fitness and really like playing with that right from the get-go so that you don't get into that situation, you know, um, so that people can't get to that spot where they get locked in and, and kind of lost and it ends up getting, uh, becoming futile, right. Uh, for their own physical, physical being. But, um, it's very possible, you know, that tens of thousands of people have, have entered into that and are now locked into that, let's call it abusive, you know, version of fitness thinking that it's serving them. Right when probably deep down they do have what we believe to be these human desires that are all well-intentioned and then these secondary desires that, you know, are probably good for why they got into it. But then they got to this level that uh, of this lack of understanding of what those desires are, you know, I'll, 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 uh, I'll have a drink tonight for all those, all those souls that, <laughs> that lost their way. <laughs> and, uh, I guess should be giggling like that, but, uh, um, there's hope because, uh, you know, at least we're creating conversation on how those desires got malaligned, you know? Um, yeah. It's possible to recover. Yes. <laughs> People have, have, oh. have recovered. We, we need, we need, uh, we need anonymous groups like we have for other things. Yeah. You know, yeah. No anonymous doubt. Or what have you. Well, maybe that's what a majority of our listeners will turn into people who, uh, who just get an opportunity to create some, uh, cognition, you know, as being a dopamine hit, you know, because uh, I think the, the point you made is valid of, you know, again, we have, we got to go again deeper back to our previous episodes on intentions and what fitness is and et cetera, because if you go there, you'll start to recognize that you do have to have a conversation and dialogue and understanding and def definition of the reason why we're doing um, all of that stuff, right? And if you don't go back to that, You'll never get a true good understanding for yourself or how to teach others on what are the possible reasons why we should be doing physical expression. And if you, if you don't go there, you can, you'll get way down the road on areas of addiction and, and dopamine hits and all these things, seemingly thinking you're going to be able to come up with some solution to it, but you won't because you didn't go back to say, you know, what are we really doing any of it for and come to the understanding, right? The, around what we talked about of this long-term play for, for different beacons that we discussed on mental acuity and function and relations and things like that. Agreed. Yeah. So I think that was, what do you think? I think that was a pretty good start, at least on desire. Yeah. I appreciate the, the starting point on it. Um, you did answer uh, those questions for me on that. What I would want it for everyone, but my side myself greedily, on uh, clarity in the definition of it. So it's more than just needs and wants, you know, and it, and it is different than just observed behaviors in people. Um, and it's different than, um, you know, just some of the language that we use in terms of that. Um, Cause I think it could, it, it can get into an area where people lack that understanding of its definition. And so I appreciate that I got that. Um, and then I appreciate the opportunity to, to discuss that, like what we call, I wrote down this, 
learned or constructed desires versus these imprinted desires. And we had different language to, to, to change that, right? But I, for me, that's a lot of great mind play. I spend hours thinking about that, the stuff that just, is, uh, that just comes up um, or the stuff that through all of our experience arise, you know? I just love the, the mind play on that because uh, it just allows a good growth for me. So I appreciate that. That was good. Thank you. Yeah, I know, and I, <clears throat> I very much appreciate, you know, bringing these philosophical concepts that I've always loved discussing down to the, uh, or in connection with the, the fitness level and, you know, how we, we keep coming back to this. It's a perpetual theme, but just, you know, you need, both the coach and the client need more experience. Yes. Uh, that, will, that, will, that will help gain clarity on your true desires within fitness. It will influence your desires and, um, yeah, it's, it's always interesting coming back to that, to that point. I think it's a very important point. Yeah, super. Thank you. Thank you.